Hi, my name is Gina, and this is Walk to the Library, the podcast where I make episodes about whatever the flippity flip flap, frickity frick frack, dick dack, spoopy boopy doopy doopy I want. <laughs> and um, for this episode, I'm going to be reading again because in the last episode, I said I was going to record again, and that's what I'm doing. And this time, I'm going to read again. Woo woo. Okay, so like I mentioned in the previous episode, um, I have this book uh, called One More Thing, Stories and Other Stories by B.J. Novak. And if you're familiar with the show The Office, you will know who B.J. Novak is. He wrote, directed, and was the executive producer for The Office, and he was also Ryan on The Office. Um, I got this book um, a couple years ago. in uh, the Hartford Airport back, not Hartford, I don't remember exactly what the airport's called, but it's the main airport in Connecticut, and I saw it, and I got it, and I was like, ooh, and I've had it since then. I finished the book, but um, it's actually a really good book. I highly recommend reading it. Um, I really enjoyed it, and that's why um, I think it would be cool to read it um, on this podcast. So, Um, I feel like I will definitely enjoy uh, making an episode reading a chapter of this book. And maybe if I feel like it, I'll make more episodes where I read more of the stories in here. Um, But for now, I'm just going to be reading one chapter. And this one chapter is called Arithmetic. And I remember um, this chapter was one of my favorites. It's really funny. Um... It's not super long. It goes from page 45 all the way to, let's see, 49. So it's only a couple pages, but it's really funny. One of my favorites. Um, So, yeah, basically. And there's a a lot of other really good short stories in this book. So, like I said, I'll probably end up reading some more of them in the future, but for right now, I'll be reading Arithmetic from One More Thing by B.J. Novak. Okay, 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 okay. Upon further inspection, I found uh, the bookmark I got with the book inside of my book, and it's Bradley International Airport. Bradley International Airport, that's the airport um, I got this book at. Kind of irrelevant, but you know, I noticed it and I thought maybe you would want to know. Okay, so let's get started. (coughs) I'm just kidding, I'm fine. (coughs) Alright. Okay, arithmetic. The principal called everyone into the auditorium. Everyone K through 8. The teachers and the students. Everyone, not janitors. Everybody, I want you to quiet down and turn off your phones, he said. People weren't much quieter. Nothing I say leaves this room, and if you tell anyone I said this, I'll deny it. They still weren't totally quiet, but quiet enough for him to start. Does anybody hate school? No one raised a hand, and whispered laughter again bubbled to the surface of the room. The principal made an angry face, the kind of angry face people don't fake. Oh, bullshit, you all hate school. Now they were quiet. The principal walked up to a whiteboard with three words on it. They say school teaches three things, said the principal, pointing with his permanent marker. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. 
short for arithmetic, which is something, of course, that you know from reading. He put his sharpie at the beginning of the third word. I think the problem, he said, squeaking a line through it, is arithmetic. What's the difference between this school and a happy retirement community? The room was silent again. The difference is arithmetic. A retired person living by the ocean just doing a little reading and writing till the end of their days. That's the dream, right? What do you do all day? Some reading, a little writing. Sounds idyllic, right? And yet school sucks. Everybody hates it. What's the difference? Arithmetic. It's time somebody put their finger on this fucking obvious thing. And I'm the principal, so I'm that person, and I'm going to abolish it. Now, he said, looking for a glass of water to sip from and finding none. Are you going to be unprepared for some aspects of life? Probably yes. But you know what? You will have phones with calculators on them. You will have friends who can do math. My mom, God bless her, I love my mom. And she still doesn't know whether a third of a cup of flour is bigger than a fourth of a cup. You know what she does? Is anybody here honestly wondering? Oh my God, how the hell does anything get baked? Of course not, and you're right not to worry. She asked my dad, he knows. Or these days you ask Google or whatever you use nowadays. You find out in two seconds. And also, it's the kind of thing you just pick up. Let's say you're working at a restaurant and they offer you a 10% raise. You'll figure out what that means. You will. It's just too interesting. It's too relevant. It's about you and money. You're not going to let yourself get screwed. Now, do I wish you all knew math? We're great at math? We're fucking mathematicians? Of course, it'd be better, but not much better. Listen to me. Not so much better that it's worth turning eight years of potential heaven. Wait, nine? K, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, nine. He wasn't, as was becoming clear, much of a math guy. Nine years of heaven of just reading great books and jotting down your thoughts about them. It's just not worth turning nine years of heaven into nine years of hell. You'll get to high school and you'll be behind in math, fine. But probably not that far. The other schools in this town are shit, let's be honest. Here there was a sound wave of school spirit. Woo! So you all get to high school and yes, you're behind in math, but you're so happy Listen to me, this is so big picture important. You're so good at reading and writing, okay? You write the most amazing college essay, you ace all your English and history and social studies classes. It'll all even out, at least even out. Plus, he said, plus, you had the best eight years of your life. Childhood. Years you'll always remember. Hell, maybe you'll even write a book about them. A beautiful one. So I'm just going to do this. I'm the principal. We are now a zero mathematics school. See, you get what that means. Zero, none. How did you know what zero meant just now? From your incredible math education at Clark Street? No. Life. Context clues. See? So, who is ready to make school something that is only about reading and writing, reading fiction, and the great true stories of history, and then writing about what's cool and interesting about them? And also music and art and gym and all of that stuff. And math teachers, don't worry, you'll keep your jobs. We'll just put you on other stuff. But mostly reading and writing. How about it? How about we go for this plan and have the happiest and most literate kids in the state, come what may? The students and many teachers cheered. Now I need to know you're all in on this, said the principal, lowering his tone. Because you are giving up your math educations. That could be a serious thing. 
I don't want you guys running up to me crying, Mr. McLaughlin, Principal McLaughlin, we didn't learn math. Now we can't get into college. You just won't know math. Are you really fine with that? Is anyone not okay with that? One small hand went up. A few bigger hands clapped for the small hand. A rush? You want to learn math? The boy's head nodded. What if we set you up with a private tutor? Would that be okay? The boy nodded again, and the hand went back down. Does anyone else want private math tutoring after school and on weekends? No one wants that, right? I really think you'll all be fine, said the principal quickly. I promise. I really do believe in this plan. I just need to say that, full disclosure, etc. But it looks like you guys are on board, right? I think this is a good decision. I really do. An exciting one. So from this moment onward, I declare no more math. This is a math-free school. Do you want that Clark Street K-8? through Do you want to say no more math ever? The auditorium shook with cheers. All the children swept away in it, even the ones who had secretly liked math. Their shy enthusiasms for the shapes of numbers and the comfort of order suddenly crashed to death forever by this unprecedented force of peer and authority pressure teaming up on them together in a surprise attack right in the middle of their auditorium where nothing interesting had ever happened before. All right, now nobody can say anything, said the principal, okay? The students nodded. Some waved a finger across their lips, vertical, to indicate shh. Some waved a finger horizontally to indicate their lips are sealed. And the rest of the students, most of them, waved their fingers in front of their faces in a vague, circular pattern that was their best attempt to copy what they could make out of the gestures around them. Nobody says anything. They nodded again. Everybody said everything. Soon the principal was fired. The principal didn't care. He was sick of it, sick of all of it. He figured something like this would probably happen again. But he might as well go out this way, right? That's what he figured. He had been at this job for a long time, and he was done. Whether the years had finally cracked his spirit or had finally cracked the shell around his spirit, who was to say, and really, who cared? He retired to a house by the beach in Florida and spent the rest of his days reading and writing. Okay, so here's the thing. So, turns out, um, arithmetic went a lot quicker than I thought it would, which is kind of funny, I guess, to me. But, um, I figured since I don't really want my episode to be super duper short, um, I'd read one more. It's a little bit lengthier. It goes from page 178 all the way to page 194. So, what's that? Uh, like 16 pages? So, yeah. So, um, this story is called One of These Days We Have to Do Something About Willie. And, um, kind of like the rest of this book, I don't remember much of reading it, but, um, flipping through, uh, the other stories to find another good one to read, uh, from what I saw, this one should be pretty entertaining. <laughs> so, um, feel free to, like, stop listening now if you're bored of this. I don't want you to listen to anything you don't like. That's, that's impractical. That's kind of stupid. But, um, anyway, so, one of these days we have to do something about Willie. We had all known for years that someday, sooner or later, we would have to do something about Willie. We knew this from the night we met him, freshman year orientation week, at the first real party we went to, the first party that didn't have ice cream. 
He was standing by the speakers, spinning pop rap songs off the click wheel edition of the iPod. He looked untroubled beyond his years, a life-size version of the people you see on trophies. He seemed to be blazing outside the lines of his own body, as if he were drawn in crayon by an excited five-year-old. Whatever fuel source was, was powering him couldn't possibly be sustainable, and its excess poured easily off him in the form of expansive declarations about how awesome the party was, an enthusiasm that somehow circled back in order to power, even overpower, the party that was powering him. And when he noticed the three of us, all aspirants to social normacy, normalcy, who had chosen this college party because it scored higher than average among schools of its academic caliber under the party school index on the U.S. News and World Report College Guide, he decided in that moment, for some reason we would never understand or question, that he loved us, and that we would forever be at the center of his infinitely expanding galaxy of friends. I think we knew even then how much he was going to transform our lives, and that eventually, to pay him back, we really would have to do something about him. After college, the four of us all moved to different cities. I moved to New York to work as a copy editor for an alternative weekly, not the one you're thinking of. Josh went to San Francisco to work for a video sharing website, not the one you're thinking of. Dave spent three months of an intended year backpacking alone through Japan and Singapore, and then hastily abandoned it to go home to Chicago and apply to law school. And Willie, with more than enough alum connections to make up for a general studies diploma, got a job as an entry-level investment banker in Houston. Even though we lived in different places, we still saw ourselves as moving through life as a group. It would have been great to get to see each other more. That was, in fact, one of our most frequent topics of conversation. But for four people pursuing their dreams in different cities, our presence in each other's lives really was quite substantial. We were more in touch with an another than with anyone else, including, if not especially, our families, and we gave one another as much advice and support as we ever had. More, even, because there was more to talk about, more decisions to make. We all still considered each other the closest people in each other's lives. As that first year went on, though, the posts coming to us from Willie's corner of the internet became something that I felt more and more uncomfortable ignoring. By the January after graduation, almost every update from Willie's life involved a picture of him getting comedically, or was it dramatically, incapacitated the night before with captions to help tell the story even more clearly typical monday typical tuesday etc a new photo of willie passed out on the floor or out of control in a bar came across our screens literally every day all these posts got nothing but favorable and favoriting comments and replies except for one sensitive looking girl named ally baby 90 who once asked are you okay Below, a photo of Willie passed out, face down, on a suburban lawn, to which Willie responded, Ha ha, do I look okay? Which is apparently enough for her, since she liked his response. Were we, in fact, really still friends, like we said we were, and thought we were, and which comforted us as we each staked out new lives in cities where we didn't really know anyone at all? Or, I wondered, were we just slowly transforming into simpler and more easily digestible fictional characters to one another, in other words, becoming our profile pictures, cool, expressionless, Dave, unfazed, 
even at majestic Mount Fuji, has much remarked upon good looks defiantly hidden behind sunglasses. Sweetheart Josh, playfully representing a prom corsage in a cookbook-filled suburban kitchen to his overjoyed six-year-old sister, standing on a table playing along, me, as a preposterously anti-Semitic cartoon depiction of Woody Allen at a typewriter, drawn of me at the insistence of my girlfriend, Sarah, by a caricature artist in Times Square who knew only that I wanted to be a writer and that I looked apparently extremely Jewish. And Willie, drinking simultaneously from a, can from a handle of vodka and a handle of Jack Daniels beneath a U-Haul at a tailgate party surrounded by friends, that didn't include us, screaming at someone or something, the photo filtered to look like an image that belonged in any era. Except, I thought one day, as I looked at that picture, wondering what my relationship to it was supposed to be, we didn't live in any era. We lived in the era when people treated things like alcoholism and addiction as the problems that they were, or something that friends were supposed to save each other from, or something. I tested out my doubts on the others when I would see their names online. Hey, kind of worried about Willie. Seriously, how hilarious is that guy? Hey, I'm actually worried, though. Yeah, me too. Everyone agreed that Willie seemed to have wandered into some territory where out of control, and out of control, both got by security with the same ID. But he seemed to be self-aware about this. We always learned about his embarrassments directly from him, after all. We didn't know what it was we would do about him exactly anyway, so it just became the same idea as always, but now sometimes with stars around it in our chats for emphasis, that one of these days we were really going to have to do something about Willie. Another few weeks went by, and then one day, Willie posted a photo of himself passed out next to a toilet with the caption, ROCK BOTTOM! I called up everyone on the phone, another thing we had not done since college, and said we really had no excuse not to do something. Everyone agreed, and then asked what I had in mind. I had no idea what I had in mind. It felt like no one had ever been our age before. I knew, in very general terms, from the references made on the television shows I did watch to the shows I didn't, and from the stray strands of dare that I hadn't wiped from my memory out of spite, that what we were supposed to do was stage some sort of formal intervention. It would have to be adapted a bit, made a little more personal and casual, so that it would be able to fit our group of friends. But all interventions had some personal angle, probably. They were like weddings that way, probably, I figured. Take the traditional structure and make it just a little bit our, your own? That sounded right. So, then basically just a regular intervention? First, we had to choose a place where we could all physically be together. One option was for all of us to travel to Houston and ambush him there, but that had its drawbacks. I knew Willie lived alone in a high-rise apartment and kept crazy hours, so we wouldn't know how to get in his building or when he might be home. Plus, none of us really wanted to go to Houston. I decided I would try to get him to come to us, so I had to come up with an event that would actually get him on a plane. I knew from Facebook that Dave's birthday was coming up, so I announced a surprise birthday party for him in a month's time in Chicago. Willie responded, Sounds like so much fun, and would so love to be there, and will definitely try to make it, but that he had a crazy shifting work schedule, and wouldn't know till last minute, frowny face. Dave's birthday came and went. The day after it hit me, 
Rather than try to come up with the perfect reason to convince Willie to meet up with us, perhaps we should approach it from the opposite direction. I sent a group text suggesting a group reunion for absolutely no reason in Las Vegas. I'm in, texted Willie within 30 seconds. When? This weekend, I wrote. In. What are the deets? At 8 o'clock p.m. that Friday night, Josh, Dave, and I met in the Las Vegas suite that we had reserved for the intervention itself, Party Central, as I had called it on the, e on the Evite, and started arranging the furniture in what would look like the most casual but serious configuration. Willie's flight was due in at 9 o'clock. At 8.30, we got a text from Willie. Hey, flight delayed for weather. Stuck on the ground for a bit. Sucks. Shouldn't be too long. We'll keep you posted. No worries. How long? They don't know yet. We'll keep you posted, he wrote. No prob, I wrote. Excited to see you. What you guys doing? I looked around. This was supposed to be a debaucherous weekend in Las Vegas, and it was 8.45 p.m. on a Friday night. Getting so wasted, I texted back. So jealous. Then, twice, who is the drunkest? We looked at one another, and Josh and Dave pointed at me. Probably me, I wrote back, super wasted. ha <laughs> Love it. We went back to planning when a minor wave of conscious hit me. It probably didn't make a difference, but the text I had just sent was technically glamorizing the drinking we were asking him to give up. It was a subtle thing, but maybe it was the English major in me that thought it would be off-theme to imply that we were having a great time drinking without at least implying some negative consequence. Feeling sick, I wrote, Bwahahahaha, you are such an amateur. This still didn't feel like it had done the job, so I added one more line. Making some really bad decisions, frowny face. What did you do, Bwahahaha, tell me. What did I do? I held up the phone. Dave says, does he have a macro for Bwahahahaha? Probably autocorrect at this point. It needs to be something big, says Josh. Something he can't just tease you about. Cheated on Sarah, I said to Willie. Four texts came in from Willie in rapid succession. W-H-A fucking T? Yeah, I know, I wrote back. I can't believe it. So wasted. What happened? Made out with some slut in the bar downstairs, I wrote. Slut didn't sound like me. I realized as I read it back. It was a word I used when I was trying to sound like someone else. Why? Explain, he wrote back. As I held up the phone to show the others, it started ringing in my hand. Don't pick up, said Josh. He'll hear that we aren't really partying. I sent it to vo voicemail and texted him. Reception sucks. He texted back, emailing you. Too long to text. Hold on. Five minutes later, I got an email with no subject. Hey, I'm emailing you because this is really important and I hope you really read this and think about it. The first thing you need to do is be honest with yourself. Why did this happen? What does it mean? How do you feel about it? And what do you want to happen next? Don't shortchange this or gloss over it. It's not as easy as it sounds. This part will feel hard, and it should. It will actually be harder to be honest with yourself than it will to be honest with her. Once you are 100% sure you know how you feel, we can talk about what you do from there. I can't tell you what to do, but as long as you are honest with yourself, we can figure out what is really going on in your heart, and then I will be there to come up with words and actions that are true to that. Anyway, so sorry this is going on. 
I want you to do the right thing, but first and foremost, I want you to know that I am always there for you and always on your side. Stay okay and see you soon! From Willie. I showed it to the room. Everyone read it. He could have texted that, said Dave. An hour later, Willie texted the group. Flights canceled. Sucks! They put me on the first flight tomorrow, and I leave first thing in the morning. Arriving tomorrow about noon. Have fun without me. Hang in there, guys! The next morning, we woke up early, arranged the room again, and then got another text from Willie. More delays, in combination with some mileage game he was playing, meant that he was now going to arrive on the same flight as he had originally planned, which would get him in at 8.10 p.m. Still worth it, he wrote to the group. Trust me, one night is going to be plenty. Then he sent a separate text to me. Hanging in there? I answered that I was. Now that we had to figure out how to spend a whole day in Las Vegas, I texted Sarah, the real Sarah, the best thing in my life, and an honorary member of this group, close to all of us, a person on whom I had not cheated on and never would. Sarah was finishing up her senior year and would then most likely be moving to New York to live with me. She was objectively, by all accounts, in every relevant way, cooler than I was, and would know things like this. Hmm, she said. Allie Fisher says her sister went to a place for her bachelorette party called Marquis that was actually kind of amazing in the daytime. Also, just fun to hang out in the casinos. How is it? How's the Willie stuff? I started to write back when she started to write more. Wait, is there something called the beach club in your hotel? I said yes. Allie Bell's boyfriend Lorenzo says he can get you guys in today and that it's amazing. I ran it by the group. It turned out that all of us had been secretly intrigued by the excessive but effectively seductive signage for the beach club, but had assumed it was the kind of place that wouldn't let guys in like us. And at least not without hassle or long wait or being shoved in some miserable general population holding area for the interminable late length of time first sure if we're really on the list said dave we really were and the beach club was as sarah's friend Allie had promised amazing the dj was great one of those djs that surprises you that there have been so many hit songs in your lifetime there was a lot of bright skin and bright colors the sun was intense and even the mixed drinks were the perfect mixture of whatever ingredients had been mixed I had the actual, literal thought I was lucky to be alive. I even caught myself wondering whether we'd be on good enough terms with Willie the next day that we could come back here. If we all ordered non-alcoholic drinks, it might still be fun, maybe. The alcohol, it seemed to me, was actually the least important aspect of this experience. But then again, maybe that was just the alcohol talking? How were you holding up? Willie had texted me while I had zoned out. It took me a second to remember what he was referring to. Okay, I responded. Thanks so much for caring. I'll be okay. Have you decided what to do? How you feel? What you want? No, trying not to think for now. Just zoning out. It'll be okay. It will. See you guys in a few hours. At around ten past four, it occurred to all of us independently that the afternoon had peaked. I might want to actually take a nap, said Josh, and we all quickly and enthusiastically agreed. We headed back to the rooms to rest up and made plans to meet back at Party Central at 8 and run through the plan once before Willie arrived. 
I wasn't used to drinking in the afternoons, and the drinks, probably like all great mixed drinks, turned out to have been much stronger than they felt at the time. I didn't fall asleep until 7.15, and when my phone finally went off at 7.45, I had an unbearable, excruciating headache. I splashed water on my face and arrived at the room a couple of minutes past eight. I found everyone else in the same state or worse, thudding headaches, eyelids sticking and stinging from leaving their contact lenses in, all from that sun and those drinks that were chased by those awful worst idea naps. Is there any Advil? Tylenol? There wasn't. They had already looked. Josh turned to me. Hey, you gotta lead this. I can't do it. I was in no state to lead this thing. You have to lead this, he repeated. You have to lead this. I had always heard about the hair of the dog cure, but I had never tried it, officially because it sounded irresponsible, but really because it sounded disgusting. Whenever I was hungover, I thought I never wanted to drink again, let alone right then. But now, with Willie's life potentially at stake, I pulled a beer from the mini bar and cracked it open with the hard plastic opener we all had on our keychains. What are you doing, hair of the dog? You want Willie to smell alcohol on your breath? Well, no, I'm going to down it fast and then have some gum. You have gum, said Dave. Who has gum? I asked if anyone had gum. Who has gum? I'll brush my teeth then. I swigged the beer and immediately coughed it all up onto the rug, exactly like a baby would if you gave a baby a beer. The fuck? Now the place smells like alcohol. We were pretending we partied last night, remember? They would have cleaned the room. This is a high-end hotel, you fucking morons. Josh reached for two bottles of club soda from the mini bar and started spilling them all over the floor on top of the beer with over-diligent evenness. That smells worse! That smells like a gin and tonic. Fuck, said Josh. This is tonic, not soda. Fuck, where's the soda? I couldn't take all of this with my headache. Where the fuck are you going? Gift shop, I said. I'm going to get Tylenol for everyone. Get Advil. Get Tylenol. Get Advil extra, thing, extra strength. Get Tylenol extra strength. I'll get both. Just get the Tylenol. Regular Tylenol. Why the fuck would a person not get extra strength? Just hurry back. I will. You make the room look like it's been cleaned. Too late for that. That ship has fucking sailed. Our best chance is to make it look like we've been partying all day. Josh started emptying vodka mini bottles onto the floor. What the fuck? Screamed Dave. Do you realize how expensive that is? There is a life at stake here. Screamed Josh. How? Whose? Screamed Dave. Long term, screamed Josh. Look, we need a consistent message, and the message is that we got wasted last night. Then what fucking leg do we have to stand on? We'll have to adjust the speeches, said Josh, like we all have a problem, but he has the biggest. What? Adjust the speeches. Dave popped a pill from a prescription bottle. What the fuck is that? Not Tylenol. Don't fucking worry about it. I'll be right back, I said. Right back. Wait. What's the opening statement? Who speaks first? What did we decide? We didn't decide. Well, fucking decide. I ran out the door to the elevator and headed straight to the lobby, stopping only to accidentally get out of the elevator every time it opened for someone else, which was four times. In the lobby, I tried to figure out which direction the gift shop would be in. Everything was a clinking, garish red maze, especially in the state I was in now. 
The casino looked like a straight person's attempt to replicate what he thought a gay kid he bullied in high school would have designed. I hated Las Vegas. Why hadn't I pushed harder to do this on Dave's birthday? I picked a direction at random and started running as fast as I could, which was not fast at all in this state. I had blocked a hand blocked me by the shoulder and knocked me down. Where are you going, asshole? It was Willie. He was dressed in a sharp blue shirt, newly pressed, over a crisp white shirt, a garment bag over his shoulder. His shoes were white buckskin, or something along those lines. Whatever it was, it looked polished and rare. I was in puffy yellow and gray New Balance sneakers that I had promised Sarah I would only wear in the gym, but somehow still found myself wearing all the time. I was embarrassed to be in the same casino as a guy who looked as good as Willie did. Hey, Willie! He put his hands on my shoulders and took a moment to really take me in. You look like shit, my friend. I'm okay. He draped his arm firmly across my shoulders. Come with me. We need to catch up first. Just you and me. He walked me up to the bar in the center of the casino and ordered four tequila shots. I said I was too hungover from earlier in the day. Don't make me drink all four of these, he said. I did what seemed like the less irresponsible action and picked up the tequila shot. To health, wealth, and the beauty of our children. To health, wealth, and the beauty of our children. I downed the shot and immediately felt better. So that's how that worked. If you ran for president, said Willie, and I knew you'd be a terrible president, and you were running against the best president ever, a pro-legalization, pro-gay rights Reagan, I would vote for you. You know why? Because you support your people. You just do. That's more important than having a good president. Having a country where everyone is going to stand by their people just because they do. Do you know what I mean? Two more tequila shots arrived. I dutifully took one and swallowed it. I'm good for now, said Willie to the bartender. He turned back to me. You made a mistake with Sarah. There are no two sides. There is no justification for something like that. I know, I said. And the fact that we all make mistakes, all of us, doesn't make this one okay. I know, I said. He pushed the other tequila shot in front of me. Here, he said. That's okay, I'm good, I said. No, you really need to drink this, he said. I need you to drink this before I tell you this. Willie stared right at me. I felt sick again. I stared at the drink in front of me. Hey, look at me. I stared at Willie's forehead. I can't let you make a decision without knowing everything. I can't have you thinking everyone's perfect but you. Hey, look at me. When I looked him in the eyes he stared back for a while and either saw something he was looking for or didn't i love you guys i really do he finally said it's been a really hard first year out i know it's all going to be worth it but it's been hard i know it seems like maybe i have it all together like i've got it all perfectly figured out and it's just guys like dave who are kind of a mess we both laughed but yeah it's hard for me too for all of us the best thing ever is being here with everybody we really have to do this more often. To health, wealth, and the beauty of our children, we both said. He bumped his forehead into mine hard. When his head hit my head, I noticed that my headache had gone away completely. Now where the fuck is everybody, said Willie. As soon as the room key beeped, Josh started shouting from inside the room. Did you get Advil or Tylenol? I opened the door. The room looked like an absolute mess, the most complicated possible version of pathetic. So did everyone and everything, except for Willie. What's the dinky donk, motherfuckers? 
Willie lunged for Dave, torpedoing Dave's stomach with his skull and forcing him onto the bed, coughing. Dave started instinctively defending himself with wrestling moves, which made Willie laugh and break out his own high school wrestling moves. Josh looked at me, opening his arms and mouthed, So? I walked to the minibar and opened a beer. Josh stared while I downed the whole thing and threw the empty bottle on the floor. Then he shrugged. We got wasted in the room. Then we went to excess at the Wynn, Ghost Bar at the Palms, and waited in line at Hakkasan at the MGM until we gave up. Willie won $800 at roulette. Josh hooked up. We got back to the rooms at 5 a.m., slept till 10, pulled the curtain open, turned up some music, smoked a bowl, and went to the Paris Buffet for what we all agreed was the best breakfast, lunch, and dinner of our lives in a single sitting. We have to do this more often, said Willie, in a crisp and brilliant benediction over a bottomless bottle of anonymous champagne. To health, wealth, and the beauty of our children, we all said. The four of us shared a taxi to the airport together, still drunk from breakfast. My plane was the last to take off. I played slots until my plane was ready to board. I won, then I lost, then I won, then I lost, all at random. I didn't understand anything, but at least now it was a relief I wasn't supposed to. Then the plane boarded and I went back home. It was the happiest weekend the four of us spent together since college, as well as the last. A few weeks afterward, Willie changed his profile photo to a picture of him surrounded by smiling kids at an inner-city after-school program in a t-shirt with the unexplained acronym H-E-L-P across it in cursive. And things seemed to get a lot better for him after that. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> reading that definitely added length to this episode. Holy shit, that was a lot of... Wow, that was a lot of talking. Ever since this quarantine thing, I don't think I've talked that much since I was back, like, in school, in a classroom. Do you guys remember that? How long ago that, like, how long ago that feels when we were actually, like, learning in a classroom and not from our computers? Anyway, holy crap, my throat hurts. Ah! So, I mean, the story didn't turn out to be what I thought it was going to be, but um, hopefully you enjoyed it if you listened to it all the way through. And if you didn't, I'm sorry. Um, I don't really know how to help you with that. But, um, yeah, I I had fun reading that. I totally forgot that that story was even, like in existence but you know anyway that's all for this episode um i'm gonna go to bed and get a good night's sleep <laughs> it's currently 12 45 a.m i think i started recording this episode at 12 o'clock so holy crap <laughs> anyway um if you want me to do any episodes on anything in specific uh hit up the email at finstermcnugget at gmail.com it's in the description um since i did two back-to-back -back, uh reading episodes i probably will not read for a while i promise um i'll try and figure out something else to do like entertaining like you know what i mean <laughs> so that way it's not just like boring even if it is, like, just only entertaining to me, but boring to other people. Like, that's all that matters, is that I'm enjoying this. And I am. So, I guess that's good. Um, that concludes recording for tonight. Um, I think maybe I might record, um, maybe later in the week on Sunday or Monday. Who knows? Again, kind of figuring this out as I go. Um, have a good 
morning, good night, good afternoon. Have a good. And that's all. Bye-bye.